Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 18b to 26. Please follow along on your apps or on the screen. Hear now the reading of the word. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. Amen. What's up, New Mercy? Good to see all of you here on Zoom service. This is John from my own living room. This is actual background, okay? It's not made up. Good to see all of you. Adele, oh my goodness, that was amazing. Um, for you single folks out there or those without children, you probably watch these videos and you're like, wow, it must be awesome during quarantine times to have children at home. Um, it's not true. Um, you only see the best and the brightest moments. Um, maybe, maybe in Adele's house for Minjung and Minsung, things are good. But uh, here at the Hull household, if I were to make that video, that would be literally all the good stuff that happened in the entire week put together. So uh, we want to hear from you singles. We want to see some single and uh, couples without children. What are you guys up to? So hopefully you're signing up for that video. Um, and also, I'm very excited about this reopening plans that we have at New Mercy. As you've seen in month of July from second week on, we're having that summer fest where kids are doing VBS and the parents are um, having seminars. And I know that we announced that there'll be two seminars every week. I promise you it's not Pastor One J me every week, so don't worry, okay? <laughs> the registration will go out. Please sign up and we look forward to meeting you online and physically in the times to come. Here at New Mercy, we have started a new sermon series starting last week and Pastor Wanjay began us um, in the series of reading through the book of Philippians. And we are titling this sermon series, Finding Joy Right Where You Are. Finding Joy Right Where You Are. And we just felt like this is a very timely um, uh, book for us to dive into and allow the Spirit to speak to us. So um, we read through half of chapter 1 with Pastor Wanjay last week, and today we are finishing up chapter 1, and let us find out how God is speaking to us and what it means to find joy right where we are through the letter of Paul here in Philippians. So today there are three words that I want us to focus on, three words, three points. One is trapped, second is truth, and third is transformation. So trapped, truth, and transformation. And let us uh, dive into the Word of God. Let us pray, and we'll begin. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us today, this morning. And may your Spirit really speak through this message. May your words that you have spoken through Paul 
back in the day through the letter of Philippians speak concretely and convictionally and may it really transform our hearts and minds as we find out what true joy is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's awesome to see all of you. Um, I just wanted to begin this morning with a, a joke for you children that you won't understand. But um, it's a prison joke. And uh, one day this new prisoner just got into his cell. And in the first night he was laying in his bed. And he was contemplating his situation. And he hears someone yell out in the background, 32! And then it's followed by laughter everywhere in the prison cells. And everyone's laughing. And um, another prisoner calls out, 75! And there's even more laughter in the background. And this new prisoner in his cell doesn't really understand what's going on. So he asks his cellmate, hey, What's really going on here? Why are you guys all laughing? And the, his cellmate responds by saying, well, you know, we've heard every joke so many times here. We've given them number to make it easier. We've memorized all of them. So now we just say the number and we just laugh at it. Oh, the new cellmate says, can I try to? Says, sure, go ahead, throw out a number. So this new prisoner calls out, 92. And the place goes nuts. It's the biggest hit. Everyone's laughing, hilarious, crazy, hysteria. He looks at his cellmate and rolling on the ground with tears in his eyes, laughing so hard. And he's confused. So he says, wow, was that a good joke? And his cellmate responds by saying, yeah, we ain't never heard that one before. All right. We know if it's a delayed reaction, you didn't really get the joke, all right? I appreciate the palm in the face, but hopefully you understood what's going on there in that joke. But, you know, um, I imagine um, in real prisons, um, there probably isn't that many laughters or that many jokes being told. I actually am kind of fascinated by the psyche and psychology of uh, those in prison. So I watch a lot of these shows and you really find out there really aren't that many jokes being told. It's not a place of laughter. In fact, to get real with you, right, prison is a place that is very difficult and perhaps even cruel for many. I guarantee you that most, if not all, prisons are not full of jokes and laughters. And in fact, it is probably one of the most gloomy and desperate places to be. Here are the real facts about prisons and prisoners. As of 2019, there are more than 2.2 million prisoners here in U.S. And having, we have then the most people in the prison system, and we also have the highest rate of uh, those who are imprisoned here in the U.S. throughout the world. Only 23% of those released prisoners stay out, which means the other 77% return back, which is a very sad fact. And each day, 12 prisoners actually die in the U.S. prison system and approximately about 4,400 to 4,500 people per year. Very sad. Prisoners are also 10 to 15 more times likely to contemplate and attempt suicide. I throw these facts at you. Um, perhaps it sounds dangerous and depressing and desolate. 
But I throw these facts at you because I want us to fully understand the context in which we are reading the letter of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter that is written by Apostle Paul. Remember, Saul transformed into Paul after meeting Jesus Christ. He used to uh, convict uh, Christians, and now he professes his faith publicly, and he uh, willingly puts himself in danger by spreading the gospel message. So he is imprisoned, and in his prison, he writes this letter to the church of Philippi, a church that he set up in Europe. Perhaps it's, it's actually the first church that Paul set up in Europe. And he's writing this letter in his prison cell. So the seriousness in which Paul is in is, I think, oftentimes easily forgotten as we read this book in Philippians. We read it and we're like, oh, Paul's writing a nice letter to people he once knew in Philippi and encouraging them. That is true, but it's not all. It's like, what is going on? What is going to happen? Because this is actually a very dangerous place and gloomy situation in which Paul writes this letter to Church of Philippi. Um, he was in prison for two years and being house arrested and not having a fair trial and a conclusion to his trial, he requests, as a citizen of Rome, as a Roman citizen, he requests to go see Caesar, right, at the time Caesar Nero, to Rome. So uh, the Roman soldiers come, handcuff him, and basically bring him to Rome. And in the process of coming to Rome on a ship, he gets shipwrecked. And then he is still alive, and then Roman soldiers finally get him to Rome, not only to have a fair trial, but um, he goes into this trial knowing that it's a very unfair trial where Caesar and all who are gathered around him at the court is basically against him. But Paul goes in knowingly, and he finally in Rome, and he had just had this trial, and he is back in his prison in Rome awaiting for the judgment or the final ruling. And this is when he writes this letter to Church of Philippi. So imagine what's going through his mind. It's either he's going to get acquitted or he's going to be hanged. It's acquittal or being hanged. So your death is right around the corner. It's not, he's, full, he's not foolish. He kind of knows what's coming. And yet he writes this letter that is full of encouragement and he constantly talks chapter after chapter in the book of Philippians what it means to have joy in midst of suffering. So the first word that comes to my mind that I hope that it rings in your hearts and your ears today is the word trapped. Paul is truly trapped. Prison is not where he wanted to be. He waited two years for a fair trial, and he finally gets there after, after the shipwreck to Rome, only to uh, anticipate his uh, final doom. In fact, he's assigned during these years, he's assigned to the palace guards to watch over him. And what happened then is the palace guards are those who are highly, highly trained military officers 
who watch over Caesar himself, they are assigned to Paul and they are handcuffed one by one in rotation with Paul. This is high, high uh, um, case. And I imagine these officers, <laughs> military officers, who are handcuffed to Paul by hours in rotation, I imagine they're like probably sick and tired because every time who's, whoever's handcuffed to Paul, he's probably witnessing to them. In fact, we find out that's exactly what he's doing. He's witnessing to this soldier who's handcuffed to him, and he's probably telling the gospel message, hey, me, I used to be Saul. I used to you know, oppress Christians and Jews, and, and now I've, I've met Jesus Christ, and I became almost blind, but this is why I'm, I'm willing to go through this torture and suffering because it's so worth it. And then the next soldier comes, and he's probably saying the same thing over and over again. And we find out that he's actually befriending these soldiers, and he's witnessing to them, and he's receiving these letters from the churches that he's helped set up, and he's writing back to them. And here in Book of Philippians, we find out he is speaking to the Philippians about his status, and also how, it might sound weird, how joyful and how peaceful he is in this current situation. Trapped. That's what Paul felt, and that's where he was physically. How many of you felt trapped through these three and a half months of quarantine, and we're going to feel trapped continually? We have a national turmoil, protest for justice, against racism, right? People are dying through COVID-19 or are unjust systems human sin. There are also personal struggles I imagine you're going through and you feel trapped. So on an individual level and a communal social level, many of us, if not all, feel very trapped. Probably not to the degree perhaps that Paul felt or that he was in, but let's imagine and empathize with Paul for a second as a man who is trapped within himself and physically. And yet, too, Paul speaks the truth. The second T word, truth. Paul still exercises his freedom to speak the truth. Truth of the gospel message, not only to the soldiers that are near him, but to Caesar Nero himself, and all who have gathered around him supporting him, though they are physically distant to those churches that he has set up. And here's the truth he is proclaiming. He is proclaiming everywhere to everyone that he sees, God is in charge. That God is in charge. One of the most striking features of Philippians is how it places Christ at the center. At the center of worthy pursuit, at the center of thinking, at the center of ethical reflection, and at the center of life and at the center of worship. These are all themes that Paul brings up in the book of Philippians. God is at the center. One theologian, Gordon Fee, in his commentary points out this. He says, quote, On anybody's reading, Christ plays the absolutely central role in Paul's life and thought, and nowhere is that more evident than in the book of Philippians. What is the truth? He's talking about life that is reflective of the gospel. 
Philippians 1.27, it's one verse after the verses that we read. He says this, Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The verb live here, live your life, is not a Paul's typical word choice for a pattern of living. In fact, if we look at the, the Hebrew, right, uh, the Greek, the word live here is a language of public citizenship. He's referring to word live as there's a civic duty or, or a loyalty, and there's a political overtone in the word live. Um, he's almost saying live as free citizens, but not citizens who are free, who are under the authority of Rome, that we are free even beyond the authorities and the rules of Rome that have governed them. But he's saying we need to be free citizens of God's kingdom, of God's coming rule on earth. He's saying basically, look, we have a king. We have soldiers. We have those who are around us who have authority over us. And yet he says this freedom, and he uses his word carefully, live, live freely in a public realm, right? Under the rule and authority of who? Of ultimately God. Later, Paul uses the same root word to remind Philippians in uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship, it's the same root word as that live that I talked about. Our citizenship is in heaven. These word choices together issue a political-laden charge to those in the city of Philippi with strong Roman loyalties. He's saying, live in a way that honors the message of Christ. What does that mean today in our context? We need, brothers and sisters, to think theologically, not just politically and socially. Right? Many of us getting wrapped up in the political movements and social movements, and that's great. But we can't just merely stop there. We need to think theologically as well. What does that mean? We need to think about God first and His perspective first before our own political and social agendas. When we listen to God, He has and does and will speak to political and social issues. Listen, when I say theologically, that's not getting rid of the social political agenda. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, Church of Philippi and Philippians, if you listen to God first and you put God at the center, and that is the truth, God is in charge, then God will speak to us how we are to respond and proactively engage in our political system and social structures. To speak to us and to show us what justice and love looks like according to God. That's what we have to strive after. That is our duty as Christian because we are citizens of God's kingdom first. As God showed Paul, when we are fixated on God and His ways of life, when Christ truly is at the center and that's the truth we proclaim, then we will understand and act upon life worthy of the gospel, which will not be ultimately dictated by a king, it will not be dictated by any presidents, and it will not be dictated by any ruler of this world, but it will be dictated by the King of Heavens, 
our God the Father. Paul reminds us here in chapter 1 that when we live such lives focused on Jesus Christ, we will live as free citizens of God's kingdom. So during this disturbing, difficult times, especially here in the U.S., but also around the world, we must place our foundation on Christ and His way of life. We must not be blinded by the message of this world that merely focuses on whom our enemies are or fighting hate with another hate, but we must unify our efforts in contemplating, praying, and proactively engaging with others to bring about justice, love, and freedom that God desires for all of us. If God is truly at the center of our hearts and mind during this pandemic and this fight for equality and justice, our suffering and desperate circumstances should lead us even more closer to God. We should be reading the word more as we protest out in the street. We should be praying more as we fight for justice, whether in, in, in social sphere, online, or physically. We should be speaking to God even more to talk about what God would want in and through our personal struggles as well as our communal national suffering. And when that happens, this third key word will, should show up in our lives, which is transformation. And the transformation that Paul is specifically talking about here in Philippians 1 is joy. Joy in midst of suffering. Joy in midst of chaos. You know, Paul is joyful in midst of this suffering. And if you think about the context in which uh, Paul uh, uh, is going through, you have to wonder, how the heck is he still joyful? He has to be either one, he has to either be crazy, he's gone insane, or two, he's lying, he's really suffering deep down inside, and he hates the world, he hates everybody, he hates even God, and he's lying to everybody through this church letter to Philippi. Or three, he's really on to something special. That there truly is a deep transformation that he's going through and he has gone through. And this is where we land. Chapter 1, verse 21. This is where we see the actual transformation. Because chapter 1, 20, uh, chapter 1 20, verse 21 is basically Paul's model in life. Right? What does it read? We may be very familiar with it. He says in 20, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he gets to his model in his life. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What is your model in life? For some of us, is our motto in life, to live is enjoyment, to die is boredom. Or perhaps for some of us, it's to live is success, and to die is to be poor. Some of us, to live is winning, and to die is losing. If so, we need to reevaluate our lives, our purpose in life, and purpose in death. Paul is talking about his purpose in life and also purpose in death. And that is to serve and worship God in all circumstances with joyful heart. 
Joy, my brothers and sisters, is a byproduct of living in Christ and dying for Christ. Let me say that again. Joy is a byproduct of living in Christ and dying for Christ. It's not something that we can strive after and gain. It's not something we can buy. It's not something that we can become more and more religious and therefore God gives it to us. That, that is not true. Joy is just a byproduct that we will live in, that we will one day find in our lives because, as Paul says, we live for Christ and die for Jesus Christ. Transform his perspective on life which leads to joy even in suffering. Paul's positive spin on suffering here does not condone suffering of all kinds, nor does it attribute the suffering to God's will. Paul is speaking directly to the distressed believers in Philippi and us today in 21st century U.S. to see our hardships and suffering in God's perspective that Christ is our King Lord, that He is always with us, and He guarantees our future with grace and salvation. Therefore, Paul depicts this suffering of Christ's sake as a privilege. So I want to throw this question to you before I conclude. How much does it take, how much does it take to take your joy away? Are kids fighting, more dishes to wash, being stuck at home for months, being distraught and angry and frustrated at all the things that are happening around us in our community, in our nation, all the unjust, injustice, all the hatred? Is it taking your joy in Christ away? And if so, Paul is speaking to us as he is speaking to those members of Church of Philippi. Focus on God. Speak the truth. Ask God for help. And remember our ultimate hope and joy lies in our Christ Jesus. The more you focus on God and trust in His saving grace, the more you will experience life in abundance, the joyful life. And therefore, we will be less distracted and deterred by the glamours as well as the challenges and suffering this life brings us. I want to just invite Pastor Dave to start playing the guitar in the background as I share this final uh, story of a woman named Helen Lamel. Helen Lamel is perhaps a Helen that we don't really know that much about, who's also gone blind. And she was born in 1864 in England to a Methodist preacher. And they actually moved uh, to the U.S., to the state of Wisconsin, when she was 12. And in an early age, her parents realized how gifted she was musically. And she was just a phenomenal singer. She wrote songs. And so uh, as she grew up at, at age 12 on, she almost becomes one of the first primary uh, CCM, uh, you know, a uh, Christian contemporary musician at that time, and she traveled all throughout the West singing her songs of praise to our God as he, she wrote hymns. Um, she went to, in, to Germany in 1907 to study music, and during that time, 
four years into Europe, World War I began. So she actually returned to the U.S. And at the peak of our ministry, peak of our life, professional life and personal life, at the pinnacle of her fame, tragedy hits her. Helen becomes blind and she can no longer see. Her husband abandons her, runs away. And then she is financially just just destitute. She has no ways of making, you know, money anymore. But even during this time when she was asked by her friends how she was doing, Helen's Christian faith led her to usually reply, quote, I'm fine in the things that count. I'm fine in the things that count, that matter. And while she was struggling and standing in a street corner in 1918, she actually runs into a missionary woman who's heading to Africa. And she gives her, Helen, this small pamphlet. And it just gripped her heart. And this is what the pamphlet read. So then, turn your eyes upon him. Look full into his grace. And you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. Helen later wrote, quote, I stood still that day, singing in my soul and spirit was the chorus, with no one conscious moment of putting word to word to make rhyme or note to note to make melody. And this heart song of Helen's became the best known hymn that she ever wrote, titled, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I end this message with you today reading the words of this hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Will you bow your heads with me and pray? Let me read those words to you again as we pray and reflect upon God's word today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May we pray together, and I hope that you were convicted by the message in Philippians, that despite being trapped, We can focus on the truth that God is in charge and that will lead us to be transformed in joy that God envisions in our lives. Let us spend a few minutes to pray together.